0: Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado.
1: Coming up on today's Talking Buffalo podcast, I'll be joined by recurring guest, longtime veteran Buffalo Sabres beat reporter and columnist at the Buffalo News, guy who's not exactly shy with the pen or with the mic, my buddy Mike Harrington. Obviously, plenty of Sabres stuff coming down the chute here. Team remains a complete and utter mess on the ice, maybe even more so off it. Mike's got a lot of takes on that. I mean, a lot of takes on a lot of Sabres matters. And you know what? Speaking of takes, Mike and I are going to have a good, honest discussion about some of the stuff going on in this crazy world of ours. We ain't sticking to sports, at least not just sports, especially on this podcast. So stay tuned for my chat with Mike in just a moment. Before that, though, I want to let you know that today's show is being supported by 26 Shirts. At 26 Shirts, a different buffalo theme design is sold every two weeks. It's a campaign, and after two weeks, that campaign is gone. Here's the best part about what they do, folks. For every single shirt sold, and I mean every shirt, a donation is made to that specific campaign each and every shirt, each and every time. Since 2013, their designs have managed to raise and donate several hundred thousand dollars. I'm talking well over 750K, headed towards a million. It's absolutely nuts. Del Reed, his crew, they do such an amazing job enriching the lives of many people. It's great to see, not to mention, these are really cool looking design shirts. Very comfortable, very sporty to wear. I have several of them myself. Head on over to 26shirts.com. And see what caused you this week. And on that note, let's do it.
0: <laughs> Buffalo's got a spirit, talking proud, talking
1: proud. Listen, Listen up, up and hear it, talking proud, talking proud. Live that you share with nice people who care. It's time to tell them all. All right, episode 223, talking Buffalo Podcast. We're on. I'm joined right at the top here by my guy, current guest, Mike Harrington, Buffalo News, Sabres beat reporter, and columnist. I don't dare even ask you, man. What's new? <laughs> Bad
2: yeah, really. But you know what? First of all, Pat, thanks for having me on, as always. And I, I'm appreciative of being on the newly named Talking Buffalo Podcast, and I, <laughs> I like the way how... You know, obviously you've been a friend to the media and obviously you follow Buffalo sports, but how you've branched out and you really allowing yourself to go down a lot of different avenues here. So I congratulate you on that.
1: I appreciate that, man. And I'll tell you what. So I kind of was being a little sarcastic with that. What's new comment at the top. But last time we <laughs> talked, I went back and I looked it up last time we talked. Well, not last time we talked because we talk all the time. The last time I saw you, I should say, we were eating some wings on the patio at Amherst Alehouse know shooting this shit watching people try to listen in on what we were talking about as we were taping a podcast it's good times man but you know obviously sadly a lot has changed recently how do you just get by in this craziness that's going on nowadays i mean god everything's changed since march
2: yeah it's tough you know you think about it you're right i mean the last time you're talking about we were sitting in a restaurant having chicken wings and that's something routinely done in buffalo all the time right and you can't do it now you haven't been able to do it since march and who would have ever thought that to be the case and you know amherst pizza Alehouse is one of those places that they completely shut down for a while and people had to rethink their business models and can they subsist on takeout how do they do it what are the mechanics of it can they keep their employees safe all these businesses and, and people around the world are all thinking about things now they never would have imagined they'd have to think about it less than three months ago. I mean, we were still, you know, three months ago today, I was not in Buffalo. I was uh, in Winnipeg after getting there from Arizona, after sitting in a spring training game with 12,000 other people. Now, do you want to do that today? I mean, it's just crazy to see all the things that have happened and how things change. And, yeah, you you just shake your head and just hope every day is better.
1: Well, let me say this. We're obviously going to be talking some Buffalo Sabres hockey. First and foremost, that's what you do, that's your living. But I'd be remiss if I had you on the podcast and we completely ignored some of the stuff that's going on. Now, you and I are kind of in the same boat and share the same feelings that we have our opinions, but we're not going to stick our nose in too deep. It's not beneficial to us, not beneficial to the cause or anything like that. But I do want to start here because, all right, so I'm down here, as everyone knows, in Bradenton, Florida. And on Saturday night, it's just a normal uh, hangout day for me. Nothing going on special here. Get to the evening time and I'm on Twitter, which, you know, I do all the time and just see what's going on. Usually it used to be about sports, following sports stuff. Now it's just about news or basically anything going on. These protests are going on, going on for a couple of days. And then on Saturday in Buffalo, obviously being my hometown, I'm tuned into that. And by nighttime, just things just got so ugly in Buffalo. And I'm going to remember this for a very long time. So again, it's Saturday night. I'm in Florida. Eleven o'clock, I have a sling player which enables me to tune in and watch local Buffalo television programming. So I put on the eleven o'clock news and just the sights and the and the sounds and the reporting and everything. I was watching Channel Seven. I happened to be watching Ashley Rowe that night. Just the live coverage of everything going down, the violence and the and the van on fire downtown. And that idiot who the mayor called an idiot who got caught, obviously. But, you know, with the firebox thrown in the city hall and you're just watching all this stuff unravel in front of your eyes. Now, it doesn't matter because this is happening at cities all over across the country. Again, I'm in Florida. You're in Buffalo. This is your town. You live there. You're raised there. You work there. What are your thoughts going through your mind? Forget sports for a second. What's going through your mind while you're sitting there regardless of where you watch that or how you got your news, just, you know, people at the Buffalo news doing their job, watching everything unfold. What's going through your mind in real time as this is all happening on Saturday.
2: Well, you're right in real time. That really there's two things. It's, it's, it's jarring to see that in your hometown and to see those images. And, you know, you know, people, you know, emotions are high now. There's no other way to say it. Um, you're thinking about people out there doing the job, law enforcement doing their job. Obviously, I'm in the media business. I know people out there from the news, um the television stations, you know, which at, at times get a bad rap in Buffalo, they don't have the experience they once had. Just did unbelievable work. All three of them. And let's not forget here Pat for television. That was a Saturday night. That's not necessarily going to be their top people out there. Right. They did some incredible work at all of them. Channel 2 had Nate Benson who was a photographer doing most of the the narration. He was on site. Uh Channel 4 did a tremendous work. Obviously, they were involved in having the images of the City Hall fire bomber. Channel 7 did tremendous work. I mean, you know, they're the competition. Doesn't mean they can't do good work and you can't talk about them. I mean, the Buffalo News has really I can't be more proud of the work of some of the people on our staff and our photographers doing this thing. but It was a night, one of those, you know, seminal moment nights you'll never forget in, in the city's history and journalism. And here's the biggest thing I'll say about all this, Pat. What we need as a country right now is leadership. And that goes all the way from the top, all the way to states, all the way to cities. We're seeing that with the COVID crisis. And just a little shout out here for leadership to Byron Brown. I mean, his... Um, admonition of the City Hall arsonist went viral, calling him an idiot twice and, you know, be ready, we're we're coming for you, went viral, but, you know, it just speaks to him showing leadership that people can get behind him and he can lead the way and, you know, he's doing it again today, he's called for a curfew for this week and I think a lot of credit has to go with him, but that's the biggest thing the country just needs right now at all levels. They need leadership. Sometimes we're getting it. Sometimes we're not.
1: Do you sit there sometimes like a little bit dumbfounded on how we've went to a country that's went from normalcy? You just talked about three months ago, grass is in Winnipeg. Now, three months later, you've went through quarantine and now you're going through a curfew. It's like we're really far removed in such a short amount of time. Sometimes it's just, it's really hard to process that. You know what I mean? It's just how quickly things can change things are moving at
2: warp speed here and in a lot of ways it's you know and every day you're trying to figure out how much more messed up things are going to be from the previous day but i understand i realize that you know my my excuse me my normal is not the normal on most people most people aren't in winnipeg three months ago when it's snowing in march too so i get that that i'm a little out there on that front but uh, yeah you just shake your head and you just hope tomorrow's a better day
1: one of your favorite things on twitter like when you get frustrated with somebody who might tweet some stupid shit at you or something like that is bang your head on your desk you like to that's one of your like go-to tweets that you're (laughs) banging your head on your desk you're sitting there in buffalo and again i can't be i can't relate to this because i'm in florida but it's like may 11th i'm talking to family and they're telling me that it's snowing in may It's like you got to be wanting between that Covid. This was before the incidents happened too of recently with the protests and everything and uh, all that. But you got to be sitting there to, again. Use your phrase banging your head on your desk. Yet it's snow in Buffalo on top of well, we had a, a,
2: sure we had a situation where you had snow on one Saturday. I think it was May ninth, and three weeks later it was ninety three degrees. So that's kind of uh, the weirdness of Buffalo weather. We always joked about Denver is the kind of place or Calgary is the kind of place where. It can snow one day and be 70 degrees the next day. Well, we, we're we kind of starting to live it here. We're having limited spring to go from snow to 93 degrees in a three-week span. That's pretty goofy, too. And, you know, all the way back to the start of 2020, with that death of Kobe Bryant, could 2020 as a year be any goofier? And There's just another thing to add to the list.
1: Yeah, we're still like a month away from it even being at the halfway official point. Oh my! You you mentioned you mentioned Byron Brown a couple of minutes ago, and I want to also tip my ball cap to him. Also, Mark Polancars. I think these guys have both done a really good job, both with the protesting and Polancars' case, with the pandemic, the daily updates, and that's not me being political here. One going I kind of hit on this. I mean, we I've talked with a few guests on this podcast recently because, again, you can't just talk sports. To me, you know, the kind of podcast I had that would be short-sighted in a little bit. I don't talk politics much on social media. I certainly have my beliefs. I'm sure you do. And at times, they do kind of force their way onto my Twitter timeline a little bit. But generally, I feel some will agree, some won't. And both are fair, both points. It's just not worth it. If I have a podcast, for an example, and me and you are sitting here, Mike, and I'm bad-mouthing Donald Trump up and down for 60 minutes, that's going to alienate half my fan base. Or if, I mean, conversely, I'm praising him up and down, saying he's doing a great job, you're going to piss a lot of people off. So you know what I'm saying. Sometimes it's just not worth it. Like, what's your take on talking about political issues on social media, whether it's yourself or colleagues and stuff like that? What's your take on that?
2: It's a hard hard balance, I mean, because ultimately we're all Americans, right? We all have opinions, and social media and Twitter certainly are there for your opinions. But the issue is my Twitter feed is different in some ways, in a lot of ways, than your Twitter feed or my next-door neighbors, if they have one or whatever, because uh, my Twitter feed is essentially essentially a business feed. Mm-hmm. So w- why are you coming to my Twitter feed? You're coming to my Twitter feed for my business. What's my business perspective? My business perspective is sports. Now, obviously, sometimes sports and life and politics will intersect. I just finished writing a column for the Buffalo News about baseball, and obviously, there's some political implications going on right now that impact baseball. And, you know, it's not a great time, given what's going on in the country, for them to be fighting over money like petrol and children, like baseball and management tends to do over the years. So there are intersections there. But, yeah, I mean, there are sports writers I read who I call friends who are on and on about Trump all the time. And you know what? That's their thing. That's not my thing. I have my opinions, but I just don't think people want to read my opinions on Donald Trump. They want to read my opinions about the Sabres. If they want to read opinions about Donald Trump, we've got multiple people at the Buffalo News to give them opinions about Donald Trump if they want. I just don't think that's what they're coming to me for. And I think if the political columnist starts going on and on and on about Jack Eichel and Jason Botterill, people don't want to read that from him. They want to read that from me. So I do think there is some delineation there on social media, and there are some lines, and You know, that's just my personal opinion. I know plenty of sports writers who don't agree with it. And, of course, you know, the whole stick to sports movement, I don't agree with at all. You're free to say what you want. It's just the way I handle my particular situation.
1: And I tend to agree with that as well when it comes to social media. Now, if you and I are at a a pod downtown having some beers with a group of people and we start getting... You know I'm not
2: just going to talk hockey then. I mean, you know, obviously.
1: (laughs) Right. If we start arguing or agreeing on talking politics, that's one thing, but that's a fair point. People come to your news feed because they want to hear, or your timeline, I should say, on Twitter, because they generally want to hear your takes on sports and the news and stuff like that. People go to my timeline to hear about my podcast or 80s music and dumb jokes. They really don't give a shit for the most part what I have to say about Trump. So I totally understand that I'm glad you mentioned baseball, because I'm going to hit on that in a few, too. But before we talk Sabres here, I want to get your thoughts on that Last Dance documentary that recently wrapped up the 10-part series with MJ. Did you watch that? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. What, what were mean, your thoughts it, on that? I know you're a basketball yeah. guy. What were your thoughts on reliving yeah. that during that time?
2: You know, and it's interesting to me, because obviously, you know, I'm old enough to have seen that, and one of the great sports moments that I stumbled into in my career at the news was I was at the double nickel game. Michael Jordan's return to Madison Square Garden after he oh. came back from baseball was his famous 55-point game at Madison Square Garden. I was in the building that night because it was on the off night in between Kenosis's trip to the NIT Final 4. Wow. They played on Tuesday and Thursday, the Bulls and Knicks were Wednesday I went and there was Jordan throwing down double nickels. One of the great things I've seen live in my entire career. Um the the, the I liked the the way that the uh documentary was handled focusing on the last dance, focusing on the 6th championship, but then going back and forth. I didn't have pr- problems following it like some people claim they did. Maybe that's because I remembered a lot of the events. Right. But, you know, going through the the different avenues of Jordan's career, and the early career and the building of the Bulls and and Jordan leaving to go to baseball after he was kind of burned out and coming back and Uh, You know, there wasn't a lot I felt that they left out, and I'm sure they had a lot more they could have gone through. But, you know, they did go through Scottie Pippen's incident where he wouldn't come back on the floor. They did go through some of the early defeats of the Bulls. Obviously, the, the walk out of the Pistons is a central moment in the rise of the Bulls. So I just thought it was terrific from that standpoint, reliving history for somebody like me who remembers it. You know, and then people who, you know, we forget, Pat. They're just not old enough to remember Michael Jordan as a player. Everyone wants to say LeBron James is the GOAT. Well, LeBron James is probably one of the top five players in NBA history. Maybe he's one of the top three. Michael Jordan's the GOAT. Michael Jordan was transformational in society at that time. And that's what, aside from being a great player. So that's really what made him. Who who couldn't have thought about the number of times that people sang the Like Mike, I if I could be like Mike song when I walked into the Buffalo News in like 1994. You know, so... That's the greatness of Michael Jordan, and I do think that's why this documentary really resonates with
1: people. I do, too. For people like us who lived through it, it was a nice trip down memory lane. For younger people, like you said, I think it really affirmed that, hey, this is the best basketball player of all time, and a lot of young people who have only seen LeBron play and never Michael. I think that kind of reaffirmed that. I think if I were to have two issues with it, not so much maybe even me. One of the two issues I do personally have, but I've heard two criticisms about that. I want to ask you this. When it comes to, MJ had the final say in everything that went on that documentary. Do you kind of have a problem with that? Because it did at times for me feel a little one-sided because there was a lot of people out there who were saying, you know, this guy, he came across as a, as a hard-nosed uh, leader who, who would push you sometimes beyond the brink. And then there's other people who, pardon my French, are like, well, you know what? The guy was just an asshole. And those kind of things didn't really make it onto the documentary. And then the other thing, and this is where I have a problem, do you think that Jerry Krause got enough credit, the credit that he deserves for basically building that team? Because outside of MJ, everything that went into that roster for that championship, those championships, Jerry Krause was a GM for And I kind of feel like, I mean, it's not like he wasn't mentioned at all positively, but a lot of it was making fun of him. You know, there's a lot of the behind-the-scenes shit going yeah, on with him. They've
2: made, they made him look like a buffoon, and I get that. He wasn't popular. He didn't allow them to continue forward when they probably could have continued at a high level. Um, but let's not forget it, Jerry Cross is in the basketball hall of fame. Yeah. And the way he was portrayed in that nobody would realize that. Um, did he make mistakes? Sure. Every GM makes mistakes, but he built a lot of the, a lot of the, you know, you couldn't just win necessarily with just Michael Jordan. They built a tremendous team around Michael Jordan and they kind of rebuilt it when Michael Jordan came back. So, yeah, I mean, but the other thing is I think Jerry Krause would have been included in some way, shape, or form had he lived. Yeah. He's no longer with us. You know, so that that, that by nature is going to make it a little more one-sided. But, you know, it's Michael Jordan's documentary. He agreed to finally let the footage out. Obviously, he wanted people to remember who he is and the LeBron talk. So you're going to get one side, but yeah, you know, very cross portrayal, not the best, but you know, maybe don't break the team up for no reason either. And not have guys bitter about it 20 years later.
1: That's a fair point. And I'll tell you what, with MJ 2020, you just talked about this and his common knowledge, this year sucks, man. But if there's been one or two like winners of 2020, he's got to be right up there at the top between this documentary that again, I mean, I watch ESPN, unfortunately, i stuck watching them every day or whatever. Weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks of Michael Jordan talk. The guy hasn't played in, what, 20 years almost now or something like that? Right. Talking about him every day on ESPN from start to finish. The sad, tragic Kobe death. I mean, his speech at the funeral, that was incredible. His eulogy. So he's been one of like those few winners of 2020. Now let me ask you. Yeah, this. I mean, one of the most memorable moments of the
2: Kobe Bryant memorial was Michael Jordan joking about there's going to be a meme. you know another crying <laughs> Jordan Jordan meme now on the internet. So yeah, I mean, he's thrust back into the spotlight here again, and 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 let's not forget here, he probably you know is liking the spotlight again, given the fact that it ignores the poor job he has done as an owner in the NBA, and that's just the only way to say it. He is not a good owner. He is not done much with that franchise in Char- charlotte at all they have he has had no impact on a positive way of getting that team out of the abyss that it's in and you know we're going to see how these great athletes go michael jordan is an owner so far not good how is derek jeter going to be as an owner we'll see I mean he's running the miami marlins so you know that there's different you know different avenues coaches great players don't often be great coaches we say well right now a couple examples great players trying to learn what it's like to be a good owner
1: yeah Talk about the process of covering the beat of a hockey team like you do or any sports team for that matter. Going on with this COVID pandemic because you can't be there at the arena, obviously. No one can. You're resorted to Zoom conferences and stuff like that to get a lot of content, the material that you need. How difficult is that for you and other full-time beat reporters when you're used to certain methods and routines? To go about getting your information that you put out for us to consume.
2: Well, it's going to be interesting to be, just, <clears throat> excuse me, to see what happens when actual games are played um, in all sports. You know, our uh, all the writers' associations are dealing with this issue. Are we going to be in the stadium or the arena? Are we going to have access to the players, or is it just going to be you can go to the game and set up in the press box, but you're going to have nobody except on a Zoom call after the game. Uh, all these questions are unanswered yet. And it's very difficult. This is going to tremendously impact the process of writing and information because, you know what, Pat, Zoom calls are what they are. Uh, we just did a bunch of them with the Sabres. Essentially, that was their locker cleanout day. Well, instead, we had to do Zoom calls with players and the coach and the GM. Well, the Zoom calls don't work real well because when you're doing an interview, sometimes there's bouncing off somebody else's question or the player says something and you jump in or there's by play and a zoom call and everyone's muted except the guy who asked the question and the team can decide who they're going to call on. And the Sabres, to their credit didn't, I I'm not implying they held anybody out. They called on everybody who had a question, but you had to go in order. Like you were in the sixth grade, you know, John, it's your turn. Mike, it's your turn. Joey, it's your turn. Susie, it's your turn. You know, I mean, that doesn't engender a good interview at all. and, It's very frustrating from that standpoint. I I really thrive on the interview process on jumping in and follow-ups and, hey, what about this when this guy said this or you answered this question this way, and all that's kind of gone in a Zoom interview. So it's frustrating, but here we are in June. I mean, that's going to be our life now for a few more months, I would think, and we'll have to see how it goes. But I want to see how things go in baseball because those guys thrive on clubhouse access For the game and after the game, and I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon. And that's really going to be interesting to watch how the process plays out.
1: Yeah. So let's turn to Sabres talk. It's long enough now. I want to get your thoughts, obviously, on Jason Botterill being retained for a fourth year. Both your immediate reaction when it became announced, which I know wasn't a surprise to you. People in the media, you know, you've been telling us all along that that's likely what's going to happen. But anyway, when it's announced, and now that you've had a little more time to. Process it and, and talk to people if your reaction now is different than last week. Not so much again. You knew for the most part what was coming. But still, I still watch your reaction on Bacho coming back fourth, fourth season.
2: Right. In most cities, in most teams, based on the previous three years, Botterill gets fired. This is the bottom line. He's made too many mistakes. The team hasn't made the playoffs. He's made bad trades. He's made some decent trades. He's had tough draft picks. The Ryan O'Reilly trade is a mistake. Most GMs never live down. Most cities, he gets fired. Here, he wasn't getting fired. It's why it really was not a discussion in the media about his status. I think the only way he he gets fired here is if they had played. If the pandemic doesn't strike and they play through March and they go belly up like they did last March with Housley. If they win two of the last 13, they probably have no choice but to fire Botterill. If they win six or seven of those 13, he's fine. So you could say the pandemic saved Botterill's job. Um, you know, it's just it's just hard because the Pagoulas, obviously we know the financial situation of Pegula Sports, they're not going to pay another coach or executive right now not to work and then have to hire a replacement. He had a contract. They're saving his salary. And the last point here is I don't think it's that much unlike Brandon Bean. I am convinced that. Tim Murray said he needed one more year. He didn't get it, and it's probably because the Pagool is just simply tired of Tim Murray personally. Okay, that's their prerogative. Botterill, I'm convinced, has told them, I need one more year to fix this. I have cap space now. I need one more year to get more for this team. Not unlike Brandon Bean, who got his salary cap all out of whack and finally got it fixed, then was able to go forward and get things going here. So I think that played into Botterill getting another shot at this thing. And I do think you do have to step back. I know, Pat, I know what you've tweeted. You're not wrong in the (laughs) areas. Everyone who goes railing about how the Sabres are just awful and they stink and they're terrible, I get it. I get it. I'm one who's written a million columns. They do stink a lot of the time. They are terrible. You do have to look at this particular season. Okay? They finished 25th. There's no denying it. It's baffling how they finished 25th. Well, really, it isn't. You look at penalty kill, you look at goaltending, you look at a couple injuries. But I wrote this in my column last week. It's like people forgot they went 3 and 0 against Florida. And then had two wins against Edmonton and two wins against Toronto and two wins against Columbus and two wins against Pittsburgh and beat St. Louis and beat Washington and beat Vegas. Yeah, that was this year's Buffalo Sabres did all that. Now they did go one and five against Ottawa and Anaheim. One of those Anaheim games, that terrible matinee when Jonas Johansson couldn't stop a beach ball in the first period. You know, goaltending again, mm-hmm. and they went zero and seven against Boston and Tampa. You can't go zero and seven. Any season against the top two teams in your division and ever hope to survive it, and they didn't. But my point is they were probably closer than we think. The goaltending, to me, is a big issue. Do you know the penalty kill was awful? 30th, 31st up, on the road, 30th overall. Do you know what their save percentage was on their penalty kill, their goalies?
1: No. What was it? It was
2: 840. Yeesh. Not, not 940. Not nine twenty, not nine hundred eight forty. They oh. couldn't get a save when they were killing a penalty. What's the old cliche? Your best penalty killer is your goalie.
1: Yeah, wow. big
2: factor. power play, power play in November. What was the Sabres power play in November, Pat?
1: I don't know. What What was it?
2: One for thirty-seven. Jesus Christ! Wow. For a month. Yeah. This team. This team was pretty good. Five on five. This team couldn't survive because of special teams, and that's what Kruger and Botterill and these players, one of the big things they have to fix, and they have to fix the goaltending. It wasn't that far away, but then you say they finished twenty fifth, and You're right, but I'm telling you, this isn't like they finished 29th or 30th. They're closer than we think, and you know, then they end up missing the 2014 playoff by one win. And if they had played the last night in Montreal and won, they'd be in the thing. You know, it just, it's just a total saver thing.
1: It really is, and I'll tell you what. I'll I'll give you credit for this. You might have talked me off that edge a l- little bit because my thinking was I actually thought the opposite. And clearly, I was wrong that the pandemic would have actually hurt his chances. Botch, I'm talking about of coming back because of the embarrassment of sorts that twenty four teams, twenty four teams. You're in your third year. Twenty four out of thirty one teams, three quarters of the NHL is making the playoffs. And I don't hold them. Out. I
2: don't hold that against them because they didn't know those were the rules when they were going through the season. Fair enough. They didn't, know it was 20, they didn't know it was a 2014 playoff.
1: Right. Well, what would have been different, though? <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know. Well, I mean, nothing would
2: be different. I mean, they tried to they, – they were 5-1 and one going into the deadline and made a move for Wayne Simmons trying to make the playoffs. They were only six points out with two games in hand, and they went and lost. They lost six in a row. They went 0-4 in their West trip. Nothing – you know, I can't hold it against Bottle. He missed the 2014 playoff. He just missed the playoffs, period. Right. That's what I hold against him.
1: That's you know Because
2: he missed the 16-team playoff.
1: That's fair. So, off the ice, Sarah, I kind of want to flip flop a little bit. Your column, in part, you know, invol- involving Kim Bagula in her announcement following Botrell's retaining, it really resonated with me. Probably a lot of Sabres fans, not probably, definitely a lot of Sabres fans too. The relationship between fan and organization, to me, at least anyway, seems to be there, if not at rock bottom. What role do you think Kim has in this? And is the primary reason that her and Terry, obviously, that they simply just don't have their finger, and I know this sounds like a boring cliche to say, but it's true, that they don't have their finger on the pulse of the fan right now?
2: Yeah, I mean, the biggest thing I always say to people, people say, oh, the Pagulas don't care. The Pagulas care. The Pagulas want to win. Terry Pagula wants to win the Stanley Cup, just like he said he did the first day he walked into town. And no one should doubt that. They get angry when the team loses. No one should doubt that. People do, and they just don't understand that point. The Pagulas have no idea what it takes to win. They have no idea what it takes to run a successful sports franchise. Now, they're doing it with the Bills, okay? They're doing it because of Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean. Now, Sean McDermott, they got lucky. He'd never been a head coach. They hired him. It seems to be working out. Sean McDermott brought Brandon Bean. Okay. They haven't had that luck with the Sabres. But the biggest thing, when Kim Pagula confirms Botterill's coming back, that should be a routine interview. Yes, you know we need more from Jason. We expect more from the team. It's been a disappointing season. We hope Jason can continue his work for us. We have a lot of room on the cap this year. We hope he can continue to reshape the roster, blah, 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 whatever cliches she wants to spew. And that's fine. But to say, maybe it's not popular with the fans, but we have to do the things we feel are right. We have a little bit more information than maybe a fan does. Some inner workings we see some positives in. Are you serious? Are you serious, Pat? Yeah. Does she really think that the fans can't see all the problems here, that the fans can't see the bad drafting and the dumb trades and the bad goaltending and the bad penalty kill and the merry-go-round of coaches. What in the world, inner workings, she sees some positives. And now maybe some of that is what I just said to you a couple minutes ago. Hey, we did beat a lot of good teams this year. Hey, we did. You know, But again, fans see all that too. Fans can find out what the Sabres goal ratio is on five on five and how much better it was under Kruger than under Housley. I just think, they don't know what to do right now. They're in desperation mode with this hockey team. Money's bleeding. They've never missed the playoffs until the Pagoulas got a hold of them for more than three years at a time. Now they're at nine. And next year, let's not forget the organizational albatross this is going to be. You miss the playoffs next year. It's 10 years or a You tie the all-time record in the NHL, and that is just a disgrace.
1: Yeah. What about Jack Eichel? I mean, he seemed pretty frustrated during virtual lockout uh locker clean out day. I mean frustrated might be putting it mildly too. I'm gonna play the clip for some people out there who might not have heard it. Then I want to get your thoughts on Jack, his relationship with this team and what you think his feelings are after five years of not even forget about playing in a playoff game. He hasn't sniffed a playoff game. He may even come close to being in one in five years. Let me play that clip. I'm come back get your reaction.
0: Listen, I'm fed up with the losing and I'm fed up and I'm frustrated and um you know, it's definitely, uh, it's definitely not an easy pill to swallow right now. It's, um, it's been a tough couple months. It's been a tough, uh, it's been a tough five years with uh, with where things have went. So, um, you know, I'm a competitor. I want to win every time I go on the ice. I want to win the Stanley Cup every time I, you know, start a season. Um, you know, I've already started preparing for next season. Now, I'm already back on the ice. I'm already training. I'm already doing things to try and better myself for the you know, start of next season, whenever that is. And, um, you know, I'd be lying if I said that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not, uh, you know, I'm not getting frustrated with where things are going. And, um, I think we took a step this year, but, um, you know, I will say it's been a pleasure, uh, you know, working with Ralph and, you know, he does so much for our group every day. Um, you know, and and there are tough times and, you know, he does an amazing job of bringing us back in and, 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 uh, you know, narrowing our focus, getting us back to, uh, you know, where we need to be mentally. And, um, you know, just a few times that I've spoke with them, you know, throughout this whole quarantine or whatever you want to call it, it's been, uh, you know, it's been good. So, um, but, uh, yeah, I'm definitely, uh, definitely not in the, uh, you know, greatest place with, you know, where the last you know, a little bit went and, um, it's definitely, uh, it's definitely worn on me.
1: What are your thoughts on Aaron M., Mike? Because you got a guy right now, he's five years in probably the most heralded prospect ever in the history of this franchise. If not one of the top two, for sure. He's played well. He's lived up to all the hype, maybe even exceeded it. He's been a fantastic player yet again, five years, man. That's a lot of years of your NHL career rotted away and a team that's not even playing meaningful games in mid-March, let alone the playoffs. How much do you think that's getting to him at this point?
2: You know, the first thing i would say, Pat, is Jack Eichel's the worst loser on the Sabres team, and I say that with the highest of compliments. I want him to be the worst loser on the team. He's the best player. He's the captain. You go in that locker room after a game when they lose and the whole roster is vaporized into the back-restricted area, you'll find Jack Eichel most likely still in full equipment at his locker Pondering what just happened. You know, often waiting for the media to come talk to him so he can talk about the game and get some of his frustration out. So full marks to Jack Eichel. What he said made a big stir in the Canadian media, whatever. We've heard it before. And he didn't say anything to us on the Zoom call that he hasn't said to the Pegulas and Jason Botterill and Ralph Kruger and everybody else in his team. So, good. He should be frustrated. He needs more from some of the other guys in this team. He needs more from the GM to build a better team. When the GM told us, you know, it's all about prospects. When I said to Botterill, "What's the plan here?" and he said, "Dylan Cousins and Paige Thompson and Casey Middlestat." Jack Eichel was asked, "What would you do?" and he said, "Well, that's not my area. You know, I play." And then he went on to say, "Well, you know, we could use a little more toughness and depth." And he said, "Veterans." He didn't say draft and develop, he said veterans, he wants to get some NHL players in here right now. And that's one of the reasons I say if they don't hit it in the lottery for one, two, or three, and you look at the number seven, eight pick, trade the pick, get an NHL player in here to help Jack Eichel out right now.
1: Do you feel like, well, look, never say never, but the odds of him getting traded are minuscule, and that's putting it very mildly. But let's just say, worst case scenario, man, this team does struggle next year and we get to the midpoint of the season or beyond, and they're not good. They're not trading Jack Eichel, but do you think that the, the murmurs are going to get a lot louder? This guy's going to get, you just talked about it, he's the worst loser on the team. Another year of losing, year six, year four of your GM, if this team stinks again next year, he might not get traded, but do you feel like there's going to be a lot of rumors out there, or at least speculation, that it, even if he doesn't get traded, that he wants out?
2: Well, it's dumb. It's dumb. It's a salary cap league. He signed his long-term deal at big money. You know, he could have gone for a shorter term. He signed his deal. It, you're not trading a guy with a 10 million dollar cap hit. Who's taking that on? What kind of package could you offer the Buffalo Sabres back for Jack Eichel? Right. I mean, it's crazy. It it's just not happening. He signed his deal, he's earning his money. He's going to be here. I can't even see a scenario. He does have a no-movement clause that starts in 2022. But, you know, that's it's a cap league. You just can't trade a guy with a $10 million cap hit. How would you do it? How would you work it out? I mean, somebody would trade you five guys back. Do you want five guys for Jack Eichel? What five guys would you want, Pat? I mean... Not, so, not no.
1: Tate Thompson, Saboka, and whoever the hell. Right, we already went
2: through that, trading a guy for <laughs> five guys, and look what look what they got out of the situation. So well, let's not revisit that nightmare. But, uh, yeah, no, I, I think, you know, it comes out of Canada all. to oh, always going to want to trade. No, he wants to win here. He wants the GM to be better. He wants his teammates to be better. What's wrong with that? Why is that a problem? Do we want him to just get on the call and say, we'll be better next year? nice and quietly in vanilla, or did you want a little fire and brimstone? I wanted some fire and brimstone from the GM three months later. I realized it was three months later. We didn't get it. We got it from Jack. He was pissed. Good. Yeah. Now, now go. let's go work on it.
1: Um, for the most part, the interviews weren't, you know, they were what they usually are with these guys, not a lot of heavily quotable stuff. But Rasmus Risaladin did say something about he sounded to me like a guy, and I could be wrong, let me know, who's, I'm not, you know, I'm not ready to bet the firm that he's going to be back next season. And he kind of alluded to the fact that if this team makes moves with trades, that he could be somebody that's traded. What, what's your thoughts on that? Because we mean, by the way, going through this one now, this will be the third offseason where it's going to be endless Rissalanian trade speculation. But what are your thoughts on what he said? And if you think that's something that very well could finally happen this time.
2: Well, it could happen. Um, but again, what what is what is the attractiveness to other teams of Ristolainen at his salary? You know, would other teams want Ristolainen at two point five or three or three point five million dollars? Sure. They want him at five point four million with two years left in his deal? I don't know. That's a big if. Um to me I, I sense that the Sabres could be blown away and a forward would trade Ristolainen, obviously, but that I think Botterill isn't planning on it happening, and I think Kruger really likes him. And I do think the biggest thing here is they're already grooming and come they've come to the realization, I think, and with this offseason of work he can do it, that Rasmus Dalin needs to take the big minutes. That Ristolainen is better suited, and every coach overall uses Ristalinen, and Kruger was guilty of it this year. Ristolainen's better as a twenty 22-minute-a-game defense and stop playing him 25, 26, 27 minutes a night. That's when he suffers. If you can get Darlene to be your 25-minute-a-game guy, and now in year three, I think they can start approaching that a lot more, you can lessen the load on Ristolainen. Ristolainen was pretty good in the first half of this year. And what happened is the season went on. They started overusing him. His play started deteriorating, and now everybody's back on the – Ristolainen's is terrible. Bandwagon again. He's not terrible. He's just not a twenty-five minute a game guy. And I don't know why no coach can see that. But I think the other issue is they've never had another guy in that spot. They think they can get Dalene to that level. It can lessen some of the load on Ristolainen. And yeah, he might get traded. But I still think a defenseman on this roster, who somebody would give you a forward for, who's more attractive to other people, would be Brandon Montour and not Rasmus
1: Ristolainen. Do you? Can you make a legitimate case that Rasmus Dahlin might be the most critical player on this current roster going forward into next season, like his development and how he plays will probably have a bigger impact on this team than anyone else currently on this roster?
2: Yeah, because defense been a lot of times starting at this age and even a couple more years take a big jump. You know, I wrote a story at the Stanley Cup Final in 2015 about Victor Hedman at Tampa Bay, and it was just about how – he finally took the jump in his career and how many years it took him to get there after they had made him a top pick. And it's hard. It's not as difficult for Jack Eichel or Connor McDavid to make that trip up to the elite of the NHL as a forward. When you're talking a defenseman, it's a completely different story for those guys, for the most part, to become elite in it with their team. I mean, you know, Victor Hedman... It took a long time for him to be an elite player. By the time they got to the Stanley Cup Final in 2015, that was his one, two, three, it was his sixth year in the league. And he had just kind of the previous year become an elite player, really, in year five. So that's what you're looking at with Darlene. You know, defensemen aren't going to emerge like that. And Darlene's one of the great teenage defensemen of all time. But they're not going to become Norris-level type players, really, into their... 22, 23, 24, 25 year, And we're just starting now. Darlene's going to be in his 20s now. He's no longer a teenager. So, you know, I wrote a story on Hedman at the time referring more to risk the line. And, well, the Sabres hope that, you know, progression continue. Obviously, that's five years ago now. We've seen how it's gone. But, you know, Darlene can be there. Darlene someday can be an elite Norris-level guy. And that's what the Sabres are hoping.
1: When we're talking about defensemen, I wanted to get your thoughts on Lawrence Pilot saying he's going to play in Russia this year and how it feels like he lacked opportunity in Buffalo this past year. Now, maybe he didn't deserve it. I don't know that you tell me, but were you surprised to hear that news? And what are your thoughts on that?
2: Well, whatever, you know, I am sick of social media, picking a player and deciding this is the greatest player ever. And the players getting screwed by the team and the team is dumb. Yeah. Okay. who is the player Everybody referred to in that way before Lawrence Pilot. It was Mark Pesic. Mark Pesic was the analytic darling, and the Sabres screwed him over, and they finally traded him to Florida. Okay, trade him for Dmitry Kulikov, who was terrible, whatever. But Pesic at least, was a former first-round draft pick. You know, you kind of want to give your first-round draft pick all the opportunity in the world, whatever. Pilot just European free agent. You know, and if he was that great... Yes, they underused him. Yes, they overplayed Zach Bogosian, who shouldn't have been playing, but he had a big money contract. Hello, that is professional sports. Sometimes the guys making a lot of money get put out there when they shouldn't be because the team wants to see they can get anything from them. Did the Sabres think Pilot was going to run off to the KHL? No, I don't think they did at all. Is it dumb for him to do it? Well, it's his career, it's his life. You know, he's not North American. You know, maybe, you know, he doesn't have the affinity of the NHL that a North American kid might, but whatever. When he was up here, and they did put him in the lineup, he was okay. Don't people want guys to be better than okay? To me, there's 10 Lawrence pilots out there. I just think this big hoo-hah Lawrence pilot for the last two years has just been ridiculous. He hasn't shown anything to deserve it.
1: All right, last couple of questions for you here, Mike. Want to get your takeaways on Ralph Krueger following his season-ending Well, presser of sorts, of course, I'm just talking about his Zoom meeting with you guys in the media. Well, um, you talked about special teams being the big issue this year and goaltending while they were good on five on five. You take that, put it all into one ball. What was your take on his first year as head coach? How do you feel about your confidence level of him being able to help turn around this team going forward? Is he the right guy for the job? And how do you feel about him as a coach right now?
2: Fascinating personality. Fascinating human being, incredible background. Might be the future president of the Buffalo Sabres. Would be well-suited for it. I have no idea if he's going to be a good head coach. We've seen one year. We've seen glimpses. He's still now two years in the NHL. Hasn't coached a full year yet. Lockout year at Edmonton. Pandemic year in Buffalo. Canadian media loves him. Don't know why. I think he was their their source during the Olympics for Team Canada. Um, Stubborn. Stubborn about Jeff Skinner, stubborn about changing uh, tactics on special teams. Players loved the way he held guys accountable. Um, Scratch guys for bad play, so there are good things. Struggled to get the team out of losing streaks at time. He admitted on the call he has to be better. The book is open on Kruger. It's incomplete. I'm open to see more. I need to see more from him and these players.
1: All right, fair enough. So last two questions here. This one, I'm kind of laughing just even at the thought of it, but You're no longer Mike Harrington covering the beat for the Buffalo news. You're not writing columns. You're now Mike Harrington marketing person in charge for Bagula sports and entertainment. And your job is to sell me and Sabres fans right now to get behind this team, to be excited about this hockey team. Now, I'm sure you've seen on Twitter, and I legitimately feel this way. I hate the Buffalo Sabres right now. I really do, because of Botchero and some other stuff at this moment in time, I hate this team. I want an NBA team in Buffalo. If I had my choice, I would get rid of the Sabres in a second for an NBA team. But anyway, my point being is you are the guy now in charge. I just You being a, a, a team cheerleader kind of makes me laugh at just the thought of it. But do it anyway. Sell the fans on right now why they should be excited, why they should run out and get tickets for next year's Sabres team as soon as they're available.
2: <laughs> really? I have no idea why. I mean, uh-huh. the biggest... The, big, the biggest thing they could have done, what was never going to happen, the Hail Mary move is Botterell gets fired and they hire Chris Drury as the GM. But first of all, the Rangers aren't letting Chris Drury go. Second of all, Chris Drury ain't coming here to be GM for the way that Galasano and company handled his contract 13 years ago. That would have be the Hail Mary move. The Sabres have always had something to sell. You know, Eichel came in, Darlene, 50th anniversary, I have no idea what they're going to sell next year, certainly since they've been off the ice for nine months. I don't know what you do unless you make a big trade for a big name, another big name NHL player, you can pair with Eichel and Darlene. They're going to have to do something like that if they want to have a marketing ploy because their big marketing move would have been a GM firing replaced by a big name or a familiar name, and they weren't doing that.
1: Okay. You know what? I just talked myself into an extra bonus question as I asked you that, because I mentioned the NBA. You covered a lot of people know this, but younger fans who m- might not have heard you on this podcast or elsewhere before, you covered college hoops for a lot of years too. So I want you to be honest. years. Yeah. I want you to be honest here, okay? If, and don't lie to me. Be honest, man. If all things were equal and you had your choice, you could cover a professional hockey team or the Buffalo Braves were in town and you could take that job and you could cover a basketball. But if you had your choice, would you rather cover a hockey or a basketball beat?
2: Uh, I would rather cover a hockey beat. Uh, it's a little easier to cover from the standpoint of player accessibility. It's a little uh, it's easier to write. You know, NBA guys, <clears throat> there's, you know, there's so much going on in the game. They're kind of writing on generalities. <clears throat> um, yeah, I would just rather cover hockey anyway. I covered college basketball. It's a little different than the NBA. I've had some exposure to the NBA. I went this year to cover a couple of Cavaliers games because John Beeline was the coach, and it was just not my, not just not my thing. I mean, you've got to wait so long for guys after the game to talk, and just you know, my business has colored my view of all these sports. You know, it's why I've kind of gotten away from baseball. It's just so hard to cover now games are long you wait for guys hockey is the best for that for media they are right there after the game within 15 minutes you know and you can actually get real stories going so it's hard for me but yeah i'm sticking to hockey
1: all right so that's a from a business perspective you would rather cover hockey which sport do you like better do you like hockey like are you embedded in hockey enough from covering it now that of those two sports like if i told you you can only have the Sabres or the Braves. One of those two teams, and you're not even a writer anymore. Now you're involved in, you're, you're working downtown on in the stock market or some shit like that. You could be a fan or you could have one of those two teams. You're not in the business anymore. Would you rather have an NBA or an NHL franchise in Buffalo?
2: Uh, in general, I'd rather have an NHL franchise, but I'd rather have the style of hockey we saw years ago. You know, the games are, players are faster and stronger now, but the games kind of boring at times. Too often they're boring. Some of that's because the Sabres have stunk so much, and some of that is just because of the league and they didn't follow progress. It didn't make the ice surface bigger. And there's no question, the NBA, I just wrote in my column today, you know, what's happening to baseball? The NBA has passed baseball, in my mind, in the national consciousness, by far. People don't know the stars of baseball. They know all the stars of the NBA. So, yeah, the NBA is something the majority of people would rather have in most cities this is a hockey town so many kids grow up playing it in that so it's a huge hockey town but it's rare in the United States most cities in the US would want the NBA
1: yeah i think there's like one ice rink within 35 40 miles of where i live down here in florida but yeah yeah i'm sure you're right especially in buffalo that makes uh that makes sense for that choice last question here and i'm going to make you think on this one a little bit I want you to give me a mount rushmore of your favorite buffalo sabers hockey players. I'm not going to say coaches because that might be easier. Maybe it would make it harder. I don't know. I want your Mount Rushmore of your favorite Buffalo Sabres players that you've covered. Now I'm not talking necessarily the greatest players, the best players that you've covered, but like guys through the years of all your years covering this team. Now, give me a Mount Rushmore for people that like, man, I love covering this guy past or present.
2: Now remember, <clears throat> I've only covered the Sabres for about 14 years. I wasn't covering him in the seventies, I wasn't covering the nineties. Right.
1: right. Okay. Fourteen year fourteen so, years is a long time though.
2: Yeah. So if you're talking that period from about oh six, oh seven, when I started as an extra guy, you know, to me, Ryan Miller's number one. Mm-hmm. Biggest personality in terms of thought. He could talk about anything about the game, not just his game. You could talk about equipment. He could talk about life. He could talk about impact of finances and athletes. Anything you wanted to know, Ryan Miller is the guy. You know, um, Daniel briere I didn't know him well when he played here. Obviously, very little time. You know, I got to know him more when in Philly. One day, I'm just sitting in the press room at 930 in the morning before a morning skate. I look up, and there's a guy sitting across from me. I'm reading my game on it. it's Danny Brier. He just wanted to talk. He just wanted to know what was going on. That's, That's cool. The way he is. That's his personality. So to me, those two guys really stand out for that standpoint. I always found <clears throat> I always found Thomas Vanek very interesting. You know, he was a guy who would want to talk about his shopping trip to the galleria, he'd talk want to talk about the bills, he'd want to talk about the you know, not just hockey. I always found Vanek kind of interesting. Most people wouldn't say that, but that's certainly the case. And I just think Eichel's very interesting all the time because, you know, there is kind of part of, part of he's like, what kind of mood is he in today? But that's good. You like to see <laughs> right, when he's yeah, in a good yeah. mood, when he's in a bad mood. Right. Um, his importance to the franchise, you know, the hopes of the entire city are on him, how he deals with that. He deals with it pretty well, given his age. And just the circumstances in which he entered. I mean, he knows. He still, I think he can't believe it. He doesn't talk about it really when out-of-towners ask about it. But he knows they threw a whole season to get him. And I still think in my mind, in his heart of hearts, that comes with an awesome responsibility he's still trying to live up to. You know, but I just think those four guys, to me in my time, really jump out. And, I, you know, there's different guys I enjoyed. You know, I enjoyed talking to the late Steve Monador tremendously. He once followed me on a road trip. Every day for three games, wanted to know the process of putting together a story hmm. you know and one time the next day said you know that paragraph was kind of weak back at the top of the story. He was actually following on reading it. What <laughs> player does that he was, you know he was a very literate guy who'd study on road trips, and he obviously passed away much sooner than he should have. but there are guys like that you meet who aren't great star players that you you know have impact on you, but the four I mention are ones he really really stand out in dealing with on a daily basis.
1: Miller, Brier, Vanek and Eichel. I like it. All right, everyone follow Mike on Twitter at by M Harrington of course, subscribe to the Buffalo news, support local journalism, man. Now more than ever, all this craziness going on in the world. You guys are doing a great job covering the pandemic. You know, I'm a sports guy. So I always dig in and enjoy the sports. Thanks for coming on, Mike. You know, I love having you on the show.
2: Appreciate it, Patrick, you know, and, and kudos to the news. I mean, A lot of papers have cut way back on sports. Some of the sports writers are not even doing sports, and there's still a commitment there. We're still producing stories. There's still things to talk about, obviously, you know, but uh, I, I appreciate your support as well. And like you say, that hashtag support local journalism, I can't say it high enough. This is the best time. There's no better time for people to do it. We need them all.
1: All right, boys and girls, that is going to do it. Another episode of Talking Buffalo Podcast in the books. Big ups to my man, Mike Harrington from the Buffalo News. Always like having Mike on the show. Also want to thank today's show supporters 26 shirts, AudioMute, and Sounds Assured. Guys, if you have not done so already, please go ahead and subscribe to this podcast right now. Rate, review, all that fun stuff. Only takes you handful of seconds to do, and it really helps me continue to grow this podcast. You can find us on all the major podcasting platforms out there: Apple, Spotify, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, all of them. Also, check us out on YouTube. Talking Buffalo Podcast got highlight clips up there, some original audio content coming as well. Then, of course, last but not least, follow me on Twitter at Pat tweets. I'm constantly on there, tweeting out. Podcast updates, promos, upcoming guests, polls, news, all kinds of stuff there at Pamoran Tweets. Want to thank you for listening. I end every episode the exact same way because it means the most to me. I know how many podcasts there are out there. The number is growing every day. Podcasts are popping up out of nowhere. So there's lots of competition. So when you're dialed into this one, it really truly humbles me a lot. It means a lot. So thank you very much. Have a good week. Stay safe. Have a brand new show for you coming up on Friday. I'll catch you on the flippity flip. Bye.